Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This is the Action Network Podcast. <laughs> waited, waited, man. Raise your hand if you saw this one coming. I guess this guy can run all night. He will run through a Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm your host, Anthony DeBundo, and this is a special Roland Garris Best Bets edition French Open, whatever you want to call it. I'm Anthony DeBundo, joined by Action Network's tennis editor, Avery Zimmerman, and our special guest from the Tennis Channel and from Monday Match Analysis, Gil Gross. Gentlemen, we did a preview for the Australian Open. We all agreed Djokovic was the clear favorite. He was the rightful uh, minus 110 favorite at the time and went on to win the tournament. And now uh, it's a little bit more uncertain at the top. Rafael Nadal, not at the tournament. He won it last year. He's the defending champion. He's out with an injury. And that really opens the door because Nadal has dominated this tournament for so long. Uh, and now Carlos Alcaraz is the betting favorite, the up-and-coming superstar. I guess he's now arrived at this point. Uh, Avery, we'll start with you. We want to get right into the action. Uh, what is your best bet? It could be a quarter, a future, a round one matchup. What is your best bet for the French Open this year and why? Give me Borna George 14-1 to 1 to win his quarter. I think out of any quarter bet, this is easily my favorite one. He has longer odds in the quarter than Dominic Team. He has longer odds than Alexander Zverev, and he's far longer than Yannick Sinner and Daniil Medvedev, despite the fact that he's just about shown the same level of competence on the clay and, and form as Sinner and Medvedev, and certainly far better than Zverev and Team. I think when you're looking at 14 to 1, and you, you consider his first two rounds are Federico Correa and the winner of um, Team and Pedro Kishin, he'll be the favorite, significant favorite in, in, in each of those rounds, no matter who he's playing. Perhaps Kishin could cause him a little bit of problems, um, but he's someone that's a little bit better in, in elevated clay. So I think somewhere like Santiago um, or Geneva. Uh, beyond that, he'll have Dimonor or beyond that, it's really Zverev Sinner and, and then Medvedev. So I think you're getting a player that really just has to win a couple of matches uh, as a very small underdog and someone that has kind of the form, someone that has the the confidence going in. He doesn't necessarily have the Roland Garros record uh, to back it up, but I think he's someone that could that could really thrive in this physical environment. So Avery and I, uh, we're, we probably disagree then on Daniil Medvedev because my favorite bet, and obviously 
a lot of this would be about the hedge at the end, but Medvedev plus 900 to win. Which, you know, it would be wild to think about uh, even last year or three weeks ago. But I look at the three ingredients we have with Medvedev right now. First in the race, along with Alcaraz, he's been the best player in the world if you just take the full body of work. Then you look at a guy who has already won a major. We've seen him do it. And he's won Rome. And it's not as if the draw opened up and that's how he was able to kind of snatch that first Masters 1000 title on clay. No, he beat Tsitsipas and he beat Runa, two of the major contenders uh, here at Roland Garros outside of, of Alcaraz and Djokovic. I get why there's still some hesitation. You don't want to overreact to one week. And the history on clay with Medvedev is really, really awful. I just think he's a different guy right now. I think the forehand is completely different. And that has just unlocked a, a new level on clay. Uh, not to mention, like, I excuse the Monte Carlo loss where he barely had any time to prepare after an un unbelievable uh, physical February uh, and, and March. I excuse Madrid where he was playing on a court that was too tiny for him to return from where he likes to return from. And then I won't bore the listeners with all the details, but if you go back the last three years, I excuse a lot of the clay struggles because of some of the injuries he's had and, and the weird circumstances he's had. So I erase all that, looked great in Rome, number one in the race, won a major. I like him plus 900 to win. Yeah, Gil, I think we talked about this even a few years ago. There was never any reason why Medvedev couldn't be a good clay player with his style. And now we're finally seeing that he seems to have committed to actually wanting to play on the surface and not just be, you know, a hardcore guy who, you know, took the the spring of the summer off basically and didn't didn't care about clay or grass. Uh, and now you're seeing that, you know, Medvedev's results are finally catching up to what we know the talent was. And of course we all know he had a rough last year, but he's really turned it around this season. Uh, I, I'm gonna go in the same quarter. I think we're really attacking this quarter. Uh, and I think for a good reason, it is pretty uh, relatively open. Uh, I like the path here for Sasha Zverev, and I think this is a good time uh, to kind of get in him when he's an underdog and, and not somebody who's coming in with the pressure because we've seen Zverev uh, struggle with that pressure label and struggle with his consistency, uh, especially in the big slams. It's really been defining his career. Uh, but he has played decently well this year, except when he's gone up against those top, top guys, right? He loses uh, in Indian Wells to Medvedev. He loses in... Monte Carlo to Medvedev, he loses in Madrid to Alcaraz, and then he loses in Rome to Medvedev. But you know the other matches besides that, he's looked pretty solid. Uh, and so I'm not going to just you know count him out because he's gotten boat raced by you know the, the two best players in the world this year, uh, week in and week out. So I think at, you know plus seven fifty, the the path for him is not that bad either. If you look at his path, you know Lloyd Harrison round one potentially. Uh, Hugo Gaston or Alex Molchan in round two. Tiafo not his best surface uh, at all in round three. I think those are all relatively favorable draws for him to get to the fourth round. He would then probably face center, and that would be a tough one for sure. But uh, at plus 750, I think that's my uh, best bet for this. I like getting it on Sasha when there isn't pressure, when he is more of an underdog, and he's finally healthy enough to at least put up consistent performances week in and week out, even if he hasn't gotten back to that top level that we saw uh, when he was in the top you know, three or four in the world. All right, so we're going to go quarter by quarter. We'll start at the top. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz is the top seed at the draw, as I mentioned before. He was everybody's dark horse last season. I remember he was at one point the betting favorite over Djokovic and Nadal uh, going into that tournament. 
he ended up losing in the quarterfinals to Zverev. Since then, he's won the U.S. Open. He's become the world number one. He won Barcelona. He won Madrid. He's 20-2 and two on the clay, even though he had a bizarre loss in Rome. Uh, is he ready now to be the favorite? And what is your general discussion and best bet in quarter one uh, here where he's matched up potentially with uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, a player uh, much of an enigma, but usually pretty good on the clay? Gil, we'll start with you. Yeah, and someone who Alcaraz is 4-0 against. In fact, I mean, the the introductory win where I think all the casuals learned who Carlos Alcaraz was, was at the U.S. Open two years ago when Alcaraz beat Stefanos in a five-setter in, uh, in the third round on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Alcaraz, to me, it's it's been a dominant 2023. Uh, he missed January. He d- couldn't play the Australian Open. But... His record on the year, win-loss record, is 30-3. and So while Medvedev leads the race, Alcaraz has, from like a win percentage standpoint, been the best. He's got four titles. I just think it's so valuable that he already got his major. Because when that, when that, when there's a zero next to your name in terms of how many majors you've you've won, you feel that weight on your shoulders. And Alcaraz, you know, getting that US Open title last year. I think it does it does wonders for his chances coming into Rolleros as the favorite here. I'd be worried about the pressure, but I don't think I am. Uh, just because, look, he already won one. Um, and obviously, he'll win a lot more, and he wants a lot more. But I'm not worried about the pressure, and I'm not worried about the loss to Fabian Marojan in, in Rome. I thought Marojan's level was uh, outstanding. And at the end of the day... Over the course of a, a full season, you're allowed a bad loss here and there. And that was his first loss before a semifinal all year long. Yeah, I totally agree with Gil, especially uh, in the latter portion of his analysis. I wouldn't really hold his loss to Marajan too much against him. He's coming off of a run in Madrid and Barcelona in back-to-back weeks where he, he won titles. Uh, and those are much different conditions in, in Rome, not you know elevated like Madrid is. Um, so that's a big adjustment for for Alcaraz. What I would say is that at, the, at, at this price, you, you may as well hold off uh, and kind of avoid a little bit of risk at, at plus 150. He'll likely have to face Djokovic in the semifinals. There's lots of questions about Djokovic's health, so perhaps he can avoid Djokovic. But nonetheless, um, even when you get to that match, he won't be much much shorter than minus 150, minus 160, something like that. So you're still likely getting a plus money futures price if you just wait until the semifinals. What I would say uh, with regards to quarter one, there's two matches that I think you can get some really nice value on. The first is an American Mackenzie McDonald at plus 168 over Sebastian Corda. Uh, Corda has, has, has only played two matches on clay this year. He was hurt in the Australian Open, had to take a big hiatus uh, from the tour, struggling for confidence, lost to Hugo Granier and then Roman Stefulin, not two people that are particularly solid on clay. Um, whereas Mackey does have a little bit of a uh, uh, real consistency on clay that he's shown he's made the third round of the french open twice uh, in the past two years he almost beat christian garin at roland garros a really solid clay quarter um and he almost beat bernabe zapata morales who's playing unbelievable tennis in madrid and if it wasn't for some missed second serve returns and nerves really getting the better of him he, he probably does win that match uh, and beyond that i would also say that mikhail emer uh, against lorenzo Massetti at plus 400 is another great spot I don't think you ever know what you're going to get with Musetti. He does have a solid history at Roland Garros. The two people that he's lost to um, in the past two years are Djokovic and Tsitsipas, and he took two sets off of each of them. But nonetheless, at plus 400, you're you're getting a player in Emer who's in his preferred conditions, um, even though he isn't necessarily coming off of his best event, in which he got you know, defaulted for smashing the umpire's chair in, in Lyon. 
uh, perhaps they'll have an extra bit of motivation uh, at Roland Garros. I definitely think you want to uh, fade Shapovalov here in terms of first-round matches. Uh, Nakashima's at minus 130. Shapo's played two matches on clay all year. He's got a knee injury, doesn't move well on the surface, tends to get off balance really easily when he tries to slide, doesn't bring consistency. I just, I don't see Shapo. And a lot of people are talking about, oh, Shapovalov, Alcaraz, third round. I just don't think that match happens. Yeah, it's rare you see that the uh, seeded player is an underdog in their first round match. It's not a great look for Dennis. Certainly the court conditions not great for him either. And you never, I mean, he's as likely to play Carlos in round three or give him a match as he is to lose in round one in straight sets to Nakashima for sure. Any interest in Fabio Fanini? Uh, Felix has been in really poor form. Didn't win a match at Rome. Didn't win a match at Madrid. Uh, comes in, you know, plus 220 here. I'm seeing it FanDuel against Felix. Any interest in Fabio? I will definitely be betting Fabio to win the first set, as is my tradition with him in these big slams. He seems to always uh, make an appearance, at least briefly. You know, the light will shine bright for a little bit. Maybe if he doesn't have the legs to to pull out these big wins anymore. But any interest in, in Fabio potentially taking out Felix? And then I'm interested in, in Benoit Pair and Cam Nori. Is Cam Nori too solid for Benoit? And uh, any thoughts on on Scam Nori? You guys uh, convinced me in betting him last tournament. <laughs> it will not be happening again uh, after he flamed out early again. Uh, so any thoughts on, uh, on Pear and Fanini, two kind of uh, fan-favorite journeyman, fascinating characters? Uh, Cam, I, I like again, but, you know, respectfully, I've been wrong about him uh, for most of the season since March. I, I He had a big golden swing, and... Now he hasn't done much on the European clay court uh, until this week where he's doing well in Lyon. Uh, but no, I mean, Pear hasn't won a tour-level match since last summer in Washington, so I'd probably stay away from that one. But I like your approach with Fanini. I think the first set would be would be the one with him. I think you're, you're wise to go that direction. Yeah, tough to see Pear holding up physically. Perhaps the first set there as well where he could do some damage against Nori, especially considering Nori's going deep in, in Leon once again. Um, I would caution on Fognini plays because I think this is a little bit of a deflated price on on Felix considering he withdrew from Leon with a right shoulder issue. But in reality, that's that's probably more likely a I want to get to Roland Garros and, and start my preparation type injury rather than having serious concern about Felix. So at, at plus 220, I don't really think you're getting a good number on Pugnini. Felix doesn't mind the the conditions at, at Roland Garros. I mean, he pushed Rafa even harder than, than Novak did last year. You can make the argument at least um, going to five sets. And that was a Rafa that was in, in phenomenal sure. form. So I think the, the, the confidence will be there for Felix. Hopefully um, at this price, I, I wouldn't be touching Pugnini. Yeah, so I'm looking, you know, Carlos overwhelmingly favorite in quarter one. Sitsipas uh, at FanDuel plus 390. You mentioned the head-to-head. That kind of keeps me off any interest in betting Sitsipas to take him out uh, because I do think the draw is very friendly for Carlos to make it to that quarterfinal matchup. And then you look at the bottom half of the draw and you see, you know, Felix. We just talked about his form and being a bit inconsistent. Uh, the other seed there was Corda. You don't really like Corda coming into this, uh, Avery. Uh, you know, Schwartzman is, is pretty much cooked at this point uh, as a potential dark horse down there. Uh, so in the end, do you guys see us being a bit chalky with, with Steph meeting up against Carlos in the quarterfinal and then Carlos being a, a prohibitive favorite there? Or do you think that there could be any more surprises maybe in quarter one people to watch out for? 
the nature of the tournament is that is that upsets are possible when you're on clay and and we know with carlos that, that there are times when he can overpress especially on a particularly slow surface like this one it's certainly possible but but i i don't think there's really value in, in betting against it and and i really don't think Sitsipas has the confidence or the belief even to to get by carlos yeah i mean look i think this is the worst quarter to make a bet on on who's going to win the quarter, given that uh, I do think Alcaraz will come through, but I don't necessarily think there's value there. But what I will say is Tsitsipas, I think, maybe got the easiest eighth in the entire draw. A lot of the unseeded guys are fast court players, third round Zapata Marias, who he destroyed in Madrid. Uh, then the other, you know, the other section, which would be his potential fourth rounds, it's FAA and Corda. And, you know, both of them haven't been healthy and, you know, the conditions, you know, you're right, Avery, uh, FAA has played great in Paris, but it's not ideal conditions for, for either of them. Actually, Corda, I kind of do like on the clay. It's more the health for both of them. So I think there are a lot of mysteries in Tsitsipas's quarter. The only bet that I think you would consider is if you think there's a chance that Alcaraz suffers a surprise defeat like he did in Rome. I mean, am I confident that Tsitsipas would take advantage of that? Yes. But again, I don't I don't know that that's a really uh, good percentage angle. Yeah, this is the only surface I will ever trust Steph on. So I was hoping to get a, a good number on him, but then he gets put with Alcaraz and like plus you know three ninety. It's like eh, not quite good enough. Maybe six or seven to one. I would have been interested for sure on Steph. Uh, let's move on to quarter two. Uh, certainly more intrigue here. Not quite uh, expecting that maybe when you see the name at the top of the quarter, but Novak. I hate to say this because uh, I will regret it and he'll make me eat these words in a week and a half, but when's the last time he came into a major this vulnerable? Because it feels like it's been a long time and he comes into this quarter and it feels like, you know, Rublev is playing maybe the best tennis of his life right now uh, at the moment. But again, like, you know, the market, not great number for, uh, for Mr. Rublev to make a run all the way to the semis and, you know, in a matchup potentially, you know, five to one on Rublev, Karen Hatchinoff, 12 to one. Uh, Alejandro Davidovich, Fakina, 16 to 1, Hubie Hercach, 20 to 1, Ugo Umber, 32 to 1. It's a pretty uninspiring quarter overall. Uh, so, how do you feel about Djokovic here? Uh, are we going to laugh at ourselves in two weeks when he wins this tournament and say, why didn't we bet him plus 250 when he would play himself into form? Or is this more of a, I'm legitimately concerned about Djokovic? Uh, Avery, what do you think? Man, it's a really tough one in this situation as Gil has taught me more than anyone um Djokovic likes to play himself into fitness most importantly on the clay but these are serious injury injury concerns I think you saw uh real big issues with the forehand serve speed was down in Banyaluka and Monte Carlo he looked all right in Rome but he was still wearing the sleeve for a decent percentage of that and he just doesn't look comfortable um you saw Holger Rune really take advantage of of, of his vulnerability um beating Djokovic what he does best, which is those long, long-lusting long kind of baseline rallies. Um, and Rune, the only player that can do that, I don't think at plus 250, I'm I'm touching Novak, especially when he could get into a battle with Carlos. Carlos beat him in a, you know, coin toss 50-50 match in Madrid last year, but those are, are much different conditions than here. Nonetheless, I would not be touching Novak. And I actually said last time around, I can't stomach the price on Novak at the Australian Open, even though he'll he'll punish me. And I'm with you, Anthony. He'll he'll do it again to us, and we'll be looking back, you know, back on our face. But I just can't touch it. I mean, I thought I, the ab injury was kind of fake that he had, like the thigh injury rather. 
uh, at the Australian Open. Like I wasn't overly concerned about that. This feels considerably more serious than than what happened there. I think the bigger deal here is that this isn't the Australian Open and this isn't Wimbledon, where I've on clay. Okay, Novak is post his physical prime. And he used to be a guy who had better shot tolerance, better fitness, better consistency than everybody. And, you know, grinding him down was just, it was not a viable path to victory. It has been now for a while. And we've seen that in the Medvedev head-to-head and the Zverev head-to-head. Some of the guys who were able to go backhand and backhand with them, drag out rallies. He's not a cardio monster anymore. And on clay... What he's really needed to be successful, and this was the big factor in 2021, he needs to build up his forehand into a big, heavy beast of a forehand, which he has the ability to do. He was doing that in Australia earlier this year, but it seems like the elbow is probably not going to allow him to really have his best forehand uh, at this year's Roland Garros. And as a result, again, I don't think 80% Djokovic can win the title here. I do think 80% Djokovic can win Australian Opens and win Wimbledons. And, and that's the major difference. I do think the elbow continues to be a thing. Uh, like, Avery, you kind of laid out a bunch of good evidence for that. I, I would say, additionally, he took a painkiller in the first set against Holger Runa uh, in, that, in that loss to Holger. We know that Novak doesn't want to take painkillers. So the elbow is not, it's not there. And it's a problematic injury for him, especially because there's been a history with it. So I, I think the way to play Djokovic from a betting standpoint, if he plays Martin Fucevic first round, I would take a shot at Fucevic. If he plays Alejandro Davidovic Vakina third round, I would take a shot there. Are the odds going to be, are, is it probably a losing bet? Yeah, but it's a total long shot. And I think they those two in particular would be worth taking. Alex Kovacevic first round, no. On that note of Joaquina, I will say, I do think he's a little bit vulnerable against Arthur Feast in the first round. I don't necessarily love Arthur Feast when he needs to have a lot of shot tolerance and and really have the ability to, to, to play 20, 30 ball rallies. But I've been impressed with him in Lyon, even when in that first set before Emer was defaulted in Lyon. Um, so I would say that at, at plus 360, I do love Feast uh, in the first round. Fakina had a decent run in 2021, reached the quarters. Um, I believe be rude in five sets, which mm-hmm. is particularly impressive. But outside of that, I think he has a first round, a first round and a second round. So not uh, a player that is, well, a player that is truly capable of, of breaking down mentally, especially when you consider that Feast is going to be firing up this French crowd. He really loves to get the crowd involved. If you could do it in Rome and really use it to an advantage, I mean, imagine what he can do with this crowd. That's just a must watch match. Like everybody needs to watch that match. <laughs> totally. I'm I'm with you. Um on that, I do think, but for Novak, I think the first three rounds is really where the draw is tough, and then after that, it gets it gets quite a bit easier. Uh, I mean, Andre Rublev and Karen Hatchinov are both matchups that have been really good for Novak. Uh, Debundo, you want to go to kind of quarter bets here because I think Hatchinov at eleven to one is the play here because. You know, Rublev, he's got a positive head-to-head against Rublev, 4-3. to three. And Andre, his baseline patterns, all of them are kind of predicated around breaking down the righty backhand. He struggles to do that against Hatchinov. So I see that just getting hard for both players, long physical five-setter. 
Karen Hatchinov, who's made back-to-back major semifinals on hard courts, but has been so consistent at Roland Garros. It's like a fourth round every year, automatic, it seems. You back him in those tough physical five-setters, and confidence-wise, pressure-wise, the it's all on Rublev, who just is still looking for that breakthrough at a slam. And Hatchinov is kind of on this great run in the same breath. So I feel like Kadov has a good chance there. And then with Djokovic, again, I think there's some vulnerability, obviously. But if it gets to that, now Novak has beaten Hatchinov seven times in a row. But Karen is a guy who wants who could make things physical and kind of hang in the backhand to backhand. And you know, if Novak doesn't have his offensive tools firing, then Hatchinov becomes someone who's really tough to deal with. Yeah, I think that's kind of my reaction originally. When I looked at the draw, I thought, okay. You know, if Rublev and Hatchinov are priced similarly, I'll take Rublev. But given the fact that Rublev's down at, you know, five to one, you can get Hatchinov 12 to one at FanDuel. I think that if they're in a deep fifth set, who do I trust more? That's not even close. Like, I'll take Hatchinov's mental game in, in a long match over, over Rublev any day of the week. Uh, I have no interest in Davidovich Fakina or Herkach, the next two guys on the list. I agree with Arthur Feast. He's quickly becoming my new guy. Uh, I love the Frenchman as always, uh, but Arthur Feast uh, on the come up and and definitely will be betting him. He's he's plus four fifty in the first round against ADF first set money line full game, uh, full match money line for sure for me on uh, Arthur Feast. Uh, but yeah, I think that Hatchinov is the the way to go here. If you're so adamantly against Djokovic, I think uh, Hatchinov is the best way to play it. You know, like there's just not a ton to really threaten Novak unless the injury really is that bad, like you said, Gil, and and he goes down to a Fuksovic. Or, or if ADF you know gets that far, which I don't know that he will. So I, I think this is a really fascinating quarter, but if you really just hinders on how much is Djokovic really healthy or not, that would decide what happens here. But I think Hatchinov would be my play here at, at 12 to 1 as well. Yeah, I'll push back a little bit on the on the Rublev Hachanov discussion because I do think Rublev is at this price for a reason because he's been so strong on on slower, uh heavier clay courts this year and Vanya Luka particularly. Um, and also in Monte Carlo, where he won his first Masters title and, and beat Holger Rune, who's one of the best players in this type of service. Um, lost to Humphman uh, in Rome. Not too concerned about that. It was another big stretch of play for him as well. And also lost to Chanov in Madrid. But again, that was a, a deep tiebreaker. He had a 6-4 lead in. He easily could have taken that. And I also wouldn't put too much stock in in a, in a place that's heavily predicated on elevation. Okay, folks, summer is nearly here, so let's talk about Shady Rays, friends of the Action Podcast family. Shady Rays is an independent company offering world-class polarized sunglasses just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. And like our unshakable gambling spirits, their frames are incredibly durable. Plus, Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of their sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. That means if you lose your shades or break them even a minute after they arrive, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Plus, if you don't love them, that's fine. Nobody gets mad. Just exchange them for a new pair or even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. It's not like betting the Devils or the Knicks, for example. So exclusively for our podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ACTION 
for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Let's go down to the third quarter here. This is the most fascinating quarter for me from a perspective, potential rematch of, uh, of last year when Rude and Rune had their matchup that, you know, Rune wasn't quite ready. Rune wasn't quite ready for now. He sort of has made his, his leap into that next echelon. Uh, he beat him uh, just a couple weeks ago. Where do we stand on the fact that Holger is now priced as a pretty solid favorite over Rude to get out of this quarter? And what is uh, your best bet for quarter three? We'll start with Avery. Yeah, I really don't typically like going with chalk, especially in this type of situation where it's a quarter bet. But I have tons of faith in Rune at this point. I think he's a big match player. I think he's ready. Made the quarters last year. Um, even at plus 125, I still see a little bit of value because I just don't think mentally um, Rude will be able to take him at this point, especially because he was in such an advantageous position against Rune, setting a break in, in, in Rome and wasn't able to get it done. I think Rune's going to come in with a ton of confidence. I think he's one of the best clay quarters in the world at this point, uh, undoubtedly. Um, and I'm not really threatened by anyone else that's in this quarter. Um, Taylor Fritz is, does not really pose much of a, a problem on this type of surface, even though he's made some strides on clay for sure. Um, Sorindolo, perhaps, but o- over a best of, of five match, I would trust Rune all day and, and Yari off of altitude. Um, I wouldn't really back him in that spot as well. So perhaps Baez is a is a little bit of a tricky second round. He'll, he'll wear him down a little bit, and Rune does struggle with fitness at times. Um, but I really have a lot of faith in him to, to come through here. Yeah, m- me too. I mean, he had the ideal clay court season. You look at the two Masters events that best simulate Roland Garros, it's Monte Carlo and Rome, as opposed to Madrid. And Runamate was in the final in both had chances to win both finals, uh, but but yeah, fatigue was the the main uh, determining factor in both of those finals, which is something to watch out for. But is it something to watch out for pre-quarter final or or post-quarter final? That's the question. Probably post. Uh, obviously, he had the the Munich title as well after Monte Carlo, and Avery said big match player. That's the thing. Normally, for a player who has never really had this these kinds of expectations playing a major in his life. Normally I'd be a little bit concerned about that, but this guy just plays better in bigger matches. He's seven and two to start his career against top five opposition, which is absolutely insane. Uh, And, you know, I just really like the way he's defending, uh, making things, things difficult on his opponents, point in and point out. Uh, He brings offensive tools to the table as well. So I, uh, I like Holger. I like him a lot. My other bet here would be uh, Jan Lennard Struff. And uh, this is not, and he's plus. Let's go. 25 to <laughs> 30 1. 25 to 1. I see 30 to 1 in 30 to 1. Wow. Okay. Okay. So 30 oh, to 1, I like Struff. Look, it's not the Madrid final. I don't want to be too into the Madrid result. You shouldn't be, you know, you should never overreact to Madrid results. Uh, but there's more here to like with Struff. Roland Garros is actually his best major. He's been in the fourth round twice. He made the quarterfinal this year in Monte Carlo as well, came through qualifying. I really love his draw here, and I know that if he's feeling confident, he's going to be a total horror to play against. If you look at Casper Ruud, the players who Casper has lost to, who's the top seed, he'd be the most likely you know, player to stand in Struff's way. 
Struff is exactly the player that's been giving Rude fits. Just hyper-aggressive, offensive, net rushing, big power. And Rude has just played too defensively to put these uh, these high-level offensive players. You know, he hasn't forced those guys to play enough defense. And that's been the big problem for Casper Rude, uh, who also has a ton of pressure trying to defend these finalist points. So uh, it's really Struff who's my favorite bet in this quarter. Now we're great, talking. Great I put him on the list. I I, I could not believe uh, the, the form that he's been in. I mean, it, like you said, it wasn't just the run in Madrid. I mean, he went to the Monte Carlo. He beat Rude there. He beat Di Manure easily. You know, rolled Rusevori. Like, he's been beating top 50 guys consistently and pretty comfortably on uh, clay courts this year. Uh, he, you know, of course, he makes it all the way to the finals, takes a set off Carlos, uh, beats Steph. In the, in the process, rolled uh, Lorenzo Sonigo uh, in in uh, in that matchup too. Like, there's been a lot to like about his showing, and the draw isn't that bad. I mean, Tommy Paul is the big seed in his in his little section here. Uh, he's he's barely a favorite against uh, Laheka in the first round. That's tricky. I think whoever comes out of that is going to be my person to make to the fourth round. Uh, and then you know, potential matchup with Rude. He's beaten him, uh, and you know, at thirty to one, I don't hate the uh, the look there for him especially since one of the biggest hurdles it looks like is going to be that first round matchup uh, because I think he'd be a favorite over Tommy Paul if they were to meet in the third round. I'm actually quite confident of that. Uh, and so, you know, Struff at 30 to one is my favorite uh, long shot bet period. Uh, I've, I feel like I remember watching this guy in like 2012. So he's been around forever uh, and he's finally, you know, having a great run for himself. So, you know, good for him. Uh, and he is my favorite long shot in this region. Do we think, uh, you know, if if rude rune were to happen again, uh, what what chance do you give rude of winning that? Because I was pretty surprised to see Holger as the true and clear favorite in this quarter. There just hasn't been a great win for Casper all year on any surface. And yes, it looked pretty good in Rome. Uh, the Sarindola win in the quarterfinals is a is a decent win, but that's literally his best win of the season, and that shouldn't be his best win of the season. I'm talking by rank, um, at least. Uh, and it's a confidence problem. So the fact that he was up a set and a break against Runa the first time in that Rome semifinal, okay, great. But what happened after that doesn't inspire confidence for me. So I just, I don't trust him. Yeah. yeah I, I, he's somewhat an Ori for me. Just like high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. But to his credit, he did, uh, you know, you can only beat who's in front of you. And that's what he did at the French Open last year. And that's what he did at the U.S. Open last year. Wasn't able to get either of them uh, to the finish line, you know, came up against some formidable opponents, particularly Rafa, where he went into the match with zero confidence and, and against Alcaraz, where perhaps he did have a little bit of confidence and, and stability having made a final before, but kind of broke down when, when Carlos was clutch in the big moments. Beyond that, he doesn't really have any big wins, uh, despite the fact that he's been able to to get by those opponents. I don't believe he was an underdog in any of the matches uh, en route to U.S. Open final or French Open final. He beat Chilich, where as a favorite, he beat uh, Rune as a favorite. So no. Um, U.S. Open, Berrettini? I think he was slightly favored against Berrettini. That was a Mateo that was not in the best of form, even though he, he played well there. Um, so nonetheless... He only has 250 titles to his name. There's there's really a reason for that. And that's not to you know discredit what he's done. He was a match away from being number one in the world somehow if he beat Carlos. But I'd probably price it at, at Rune minus 200, minus 220, 
Um, I wouldn't touch it, but I'd be pretty surprised if, if Rude beat him. Also, I just want to throw in here that the, the draw is not good for Casper at all. Uh, Bublik, uh, qualifier first round, so I'm not sure who will play. Bublik second round, they went to a third set tiebreak in Rome. Botic probably in the next. Botic beat him earlier in the clay swing. He got revenge uh, a week later. Uh, third round uh, could be... Um, Oh, it's at, well, it, that would be Botic, his third round, or maybe Triple Z or maybe Livic, uh, Triple Z, Zhang Zhizhen, uh, Struf fourth round. So what I see there is weapons. Like there's a lot of weapons for him to contend with every single round. Let's move on to the quarter we've discussed earlier. All three of us had our best bet in this quarter. I had Zverev plus 750 to win the quarter. Gil liked Medvedev to win the whole tournament at 9-1. to one. Avery is riding with Born Again, Borna Chorich, uh, we can just kind of touch on this quarter since we talked about it again. Uh, diving in here, we haven't discussed Yannick Sinner yet. I feel like we need to give him his due. Uh, any thoughts on Yannick coming into this tournament and any other bets in this quarter you guys want to get to uh, before we quickly touch on the women's and get out of here? I'm really confident that Yannick is going to be in the quarterfinal. His draws nice, and man, he his history at Roland Garros is pretty awesome. He made the quarterfinal in his debut, lost to Nadal, made the fourth round his next year playing, lost to Nadal again. Last year, he was about to be in the quarterfinal. I mean, he was crushing Andre Rublev, and then he hurt his knee, and he had to retire from that match. So he really hasn't suffered a, a real defeat to anyone not Rafa Nadal. The problem is, with all the scar tissue that he has, I don't really trust his nerve management in a big match once we get to, to let's say, a quarterfinal against Medvedev or maybe a semifinal moving forward. I was really hoping, I think what Yannick really needed was a big result at some point over the course of the clay swing for him to come into this major and feel confident enough in the big moments to, to come through and play his best tennis. That's my read on it. Yeah, like I talked about earlier, love George in this quarter at 14 to 1. Another thing I'd be on the lookout for, last time around at the Australian Open, I talked about Brooksby in the second round against Rudd, and that was just about the only thing I was correct on. But nonetheless, he was able to get that done. If we see Molchan in the second round against Verev at 4-1 to one or better, I would be all over that because Molchan has a history of succeeding at slams. He's shown that, not the U.S. Open, but at the Australian Open, he got a huge win over Stan Wawrinka. Um, this is the perfect surface for him, this slow, heavy clay. Zverev is a counterpuncher who loves to absorb pace, and that's, I think, why he was really successful against Carlos on this surface. Um, when you try and hit through him, he's very capable of defending. What I will say is Molchan's not going to give that to him at all. He's going to be happy to go 40-ball, 50-ball rallies, chest those nerves from Zverev, and uh, we know what can happen when when, when Zverev is a little bit nervy. So Molchan, 4-1 to one or better against Zverev, I love. Molchan won't be hitting much pace, that's for sure. I I like that. It hurts, I, that hurts I me to hear that, Avery. Well, I'm I'm of two. But minds it is always about nerve management for Zverev. Yeah. No, I think you had good logic at the top, uh, Debundo, about about Zverev, where it's like, okay, he's not going to be feeling you know the weight of expectation as much this year. That said, he is defending semifinal points, so that might offset some of the kind of carefree vibes that that you're hoping he comes with the draw is good and what has happened with Zverev this year for the most part outside of a couple of weird losses like one to Taro Daniel uh, another one to Christopher O'Connell what's mostly happened is Zverev has been a lower seed and 
he has faced, you know, top guns early on, a round of 16 at least, and he hasn't been able to win those matches. So the big thing, the big stat that I'm kind of tracking with Zverev is when is he going to beat a top 20 player? He's 0-5 against top 20 players this year. He might not play a top 20 player until uh, potentially the fourth round, though. Yeah, absolutely right. So hopefully that happens, and then, you know, Sinner and Zverev, and Sinner gets a little tight. We'll see what happens. Could happen. We'll see. That's going to be a fun quarter for sure. Uh, let's switch to the women's here real quickly. Uh, Igish Fiatek is minus 130. Odds on to win the tournament again. Has dominated this tournament now. She's dominated on clay. She has been a little more vulnerable this year. Uh, the, the three big favorites to win this tournament, the only three players at FanDuel with odds under 20 to 1, Elena Rabakina, Arena Sabalenka, Igish Fiatek. No surprise, they are the winners of the last three majors. Uh, what do we think about Iga versus the field? Uh, and would you take the Polish woman or would you go with the field if you had to take one? And who, if you had any potential long shot or or other pick, would you go with if it's not Iga Swiatek, who has, again, been the class of the clay? I think there are two great numbers uh, on the women's side. One of those is Coco Goff at 35 to 1. Um, I know we are scared of the forehand it's really bad mechanically. It is so bad, but she's been working really hard with 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 Patrick Maritoglu. I think um, the ceiling is as high as it can be for her at at the French Open right now compared to the other slams. She has a final from last year where she lost to Iga. She has a quarterfinal in 2021. The the slower courts really help her. She can really attack off the backhand wing, and I think if she's serving well um, and and really counter punching well, which is what she she loves to do. I think that price is really good because. She's just a player when when in form can be a lot more formidable than than someone when she's really struggling. Um, we saw that at the U.S. Open how how well she can play when when she's feeling good, and we can saw how bad she can play at you know the Australian Open when she was boat raced by by Elena Ostapenko uh, and lacking confidence. The second one I would look at is Anastasia Potapova at eighty to one. She's a player that I have a ton of faith in that will rise to the top of the game um, within the next few years. Another big match player. She can struggle with nerves at times. For sure. Um, had chances to serve it out, I believe, against Jessica Pagula in Miami once or twice. Um, and that being said, all of her losses on clay this year came to Sabalenka in Stuttgart, came to Kudermatova twice in Rome and Madrid. Um, and the latter two were, I believe, both three set matches. So she's someone that can thrive on this surface. And at 80 to 1, you know, we saw how Iga made a run um, in 2020, I believe, to claim her first slam and really just went lights out. Um was someone at 80 to 1 that I would, you know, toss a little bit of change on to, to do that. I would not take Iga against the field just because of her injury concerns. I have no idea how that thigh is feeling. Potapova is interesting. 9 to 1 to win quarter three. She's in the quarter with Benchich, Sakari, and Pagula. We know about Sakari's nerve management problems. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Pagula matchup, uh, you know, almost. Uh, and Pagula generally, I think, being overvalued in the market uh, as a whole uh, could be interesting there. And you may have just convinced me to place that wager just now. Uh, I'll second it. I, I love Potapova. I think she's playing awesome. I, I will say that uh, Sakari's nerve management issues generally don't start until the semifinal round. Uh, but, you know, in, in majors, a lot of the time it's actually been in the quarters. So that, that one can go uh, either way. Um I also wouldn't take Iga against the field, partially because of the injury, partially because I do feel like Sabalenka is there. Now, one thing I disagree with is Sabalenka and Rybakina being at the same odds. I think 
there's a difference between those two on clay and and Sabalenka to me can can hang with with anybody in a in a neutral baseline rally. I trust her movement. I love I love her power with time on the ball, but I just think she's better on the run. She moves the ball around the court uh, a, a lot better than Rybakina does with kind of the more linear power. So I'm really in on Sabalenka, and I, I wouldn't mind taking her at plus seven hundred uh, to win the tournament. My longer shot would be Junction Wen. I mean, look, it's not, I don't think she's that creative, a dark horse at this point. We all know she's really talented and, and dangerous, but the forehand is very, very special on this clay court surface. Uh, the weight on it, the RPM she gets, it penetrates through the court, it dictates play. Uh, and, you know, she's she's really dangerous in, in every other area of her game as well. The serve and the backhand also very big, just enough mobility where I don't, I don't think it'll it'll really take her out of the running uh, in a big match. Ha- doesn't really, you know, hasn't had the the real big breakthrough results at at the big events yet. But I do think that time is coming soon for Zhang Xinwen. Well, I'm riding with Sabs again. Had her in Australia. I'm gonna bet her again at the French. You mentioned Zhang, 65 to one at Fanduel. If you're that interested in a long shot, I'll be interested in joining Avery on Potapova. I'm gonna take the nine to one quarter price. We've just thrown a lot of bets at you. It's been a fun time joining you guys to preview the French Open. We're hoping to do this once every slam, which means we will be back in about a month in June for the championships, Wimbledon, which will be here before we know it. But first, two great weeks on the dirt in Southwest Paris. Should be a lot of fun. Thanks to Avery and Gil for joining me. This has been the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.